Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. We have this dual citizenship. We have a responsibility to see that our governance works right, that our government works right. We have a responsibility to be involved in social justice. We have a responsibility to help and be loyal to the country. But we have a greater responsibility to God. We belong to a kingdom that is to come, the kingdom of God. Christians can have a confusing life in a way. In one sense, we are to be wholly sold out for God and the advancement of His kingdom, and therefore we live life with a kingdom viewpoint. However, as Pastor Ed reminds us today, we are also still citizens of this world. We're not to just turn our backs on people and issues that are so much a part of where we live. We must instead be active in the things that matter and be a part of the world that God has created. Now, here's Pastor Ed in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, with his continuing study entitled, God's Wonderful People. It's so important that every minister, every preacher, every teacher knows Jesus Christ. And they have a personal relationship with Him. I was talking to a a minister. He was a Methodist pastor. He had gone to Princeton. And then he went to Drew for his doctorate. He received his MDiv at Princeton and then his doctorate at Drew. And he said he had pastored for seven years. And he never knew the plan of salvation. He said one day he was at a conference with 400 other pastors. And there was an old preacher who said, you have to know Christ personally. You have to be born again. And he told those ministers they had to be saved. He felt so convicted that he didn't care who was looking at him, what was happening. Garland said he got up and he came forward and received Christ as his personal Savior. And he said, along with 50 other ministers who hadn't known Christ, A person has to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Because you're in a church doesn't mean you're saved. Because you attend Assembly of God Church or a Methodist Church or an Episcopal Church or whatever church, an Evangelical Church, doesn't mean you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to know Him. You have to have received Him. The power of God has to have exploded in your life. And you have to know the power of the Gospel of Christ that changes you. And so... These people here at Philippi, they experienced the power of God. They came from various walks in life, but they met God there and they knew what Paul was talking about. It's amazing when a person is saved, how suddenly their eyes are open and they see this Bible is not a mere historical document, but is a love letter that God wrote to them. Notice the biblical text. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, the holy ones. And where are they? They're in Christ. In Christ. The blessings, the promises, the covenant, the salvation, it's in Christ. That's where everything we have is we have to be in Jesus Christ. That's why when you pray, you never go to God the Father and say, I pray in the name of faith assembly of God. You wouldn't do that. You pray in the name of Jesus, right? Because that's the name that gives us access.
access to God. It's in Christ, in his name, we have access to the Father. We have access into his presence. And the promises are ours in Christ. But notice also, it says this. And it doesn't say it in the NIV, but the New American Standard accurately follows the Greek. In Philippi. What I think Paul was doing at this point was recognizing our dual citizenship. We are first of all and primarily citizens of heaven. See, we never put our roots down deeply in this present world. We never anchor ourselves fully in this present world. We recognize this is just a moment. We're just passing through and we're journeying towards heaven. That's our destination. We live with a sense of a pilgrim spirit. We're passing through this life. People get all upset, all excited about the things of this life, but we know they're passing away. And we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is the Lord. We're looking for our eternal destination. There is this sense in us that we will not be satisfied with this present world because we know we're living for a world to come. But Paul the Apostle didn't want us to become so heavenly minded that we become no earthly good. And so he says, in Philippi, your citizens in Philippi. Now that Roman jailer in the city of Philippi, it was a sort of a, a model city. It was modeled after Rome, its government, its uh, uh, forms of uh, policies and politics. It was a colony of Rome. This Roman citizen, this Roman jailer, would have had to say, Caesar is Lord, but now he's a Christian. And like all Christians in that first century, they were willing to give up their life and not compromise their faith by saying Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is Lord. Uh, this Roman jailer was still a citizen of Rome. And I think he probably would have been a loyal citizen. And Lydia was, and that slave girl was. And, and they recognized their responsibility towards a local community that they were in, but they recognized also that they were citizens in heaven. We have this dual citizenship. We have a responsibility to see that our governance works right, that our government works right. We have a responsibility to be involved in social justice. We have a responsibility to help and be loyal to the country. But we have a greater responsibility to God. We belong to a kingdom that is to come, the kingdom of God. And so Paul the Apostle, when he says in Christ in Philippi, he's saying, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not so earthly good. But he's also saying, don't be so earthly minded that you have no heavenly value in this present world. That all you're doing is living for the present moment that's soon going to be gone. It's soon going to disappear. It's going to, as Peter describes, be burnt up in flames of fire. He recognized the citizenship. He calls them saints. Now, he's very careful with his words, just like our English translation is. When he introduces himself, because of his perhaps close, intimate relationship with the church at Philippi, he says, Paul and Timothy do losses in Christ. In other words, slaves 
The NIV doesn't translate it that way, nor does the New American Standard. New American Standard says bondservant, NIV says um, servants. And the reason the translators do that is because there's so much connected with the word slave in the North American mind. We think of the horrific offense and the terrible plight on our history of slavery and how African Americans were treated. But Paul, who is a free man, says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And in the Roman Empire, almost half the population were slaves. Almost half of them were born into slavery. Either Now, you could have been a slave several ways. One of them, you could have been born a slave. Or you could have, because of debt, be sold into slavery. Or a conquering nation could have come and conquered you, and you were a conquered people, and you were, again, sold into slavery. But Paul the Apostle says, I'm a slave of Jesus. He paid a debt... He did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. He conquered my heart with his love on the cross when he died for me. He redeemed me. He recognized I've been born anew and I'm born into the kingdom of God and I am born a child of his. I'm now his slave. See, he was once a slave to sin. A slave to unrighteousness, held strong by the cords of sin, bound strong by the cords of sin. But Christ had freed him. And now he was a slave to righteousness. So you see in Philippians 1 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. And when the New American Standard uses that, it's helping us to catch perhaps the imagery that Paul was trying to use when he was speaking. Of slavery, he was thinking of the Old Testament. Because a bondservant was someone who was in slavery temporarily and he decided, I want to be permanently a slave of this master because he's so benevolent and so kind. And they would pierce his ear and he said, I want to be a bondservant. What Paul is saying is, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That ought to be our attitude. Our attitude in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. That's the net translation. Slaves of Christ. When I'm a slave of Christ, that means I have no rights. I surrender all my rights. I have no possessions. I surrender all my possessions. I surrender my time. I don't check in and check out. My time belongs to him. Paul said, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Ah, beloved, that ought to be our attitude. Too often we take the attitude and we become cultural Christians. Cultural Christians have an attitude of, God, you owe me. And we get that from the culture because we have this idea in the culture that I want my rights. I am entitled. I deserve this. Paul the Apostle, because of his attitude, could change a dark night into a bright day. He could be in a prison cell and says, I'm in 
here because I'm a prisoner of Christ, not a prisoner of Caesar. Because God has allowed it. And so he could say, God, use this. I'll just take the time to write a few letters. God, when we have the right attitude, could use the most tragic, most difficult of circumstances for his honor and his glory and our good. There, Paul the apostle is, he said, I am a slave. If God wants me in prison, well, praise the Lord. If God allows me to suffer, well, praise the Lord. If God calls me home, well, praise the Lord. I belong to him. My life is his. Whatever he wants to do with it, do with it. That's his attitude. See, he had been bought back from sin. He had been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. In 1 Corinthians, it reads, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and it was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You must honor God with your body. In 1 Peter chapter 1, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish and without defect. He says, I am God's slave. How many want to sign up to be a slave of God? In the Old Testament... It was a title of honor. We think about all that Moses did. We see the Red Sea opening. We see the manna coming down from heaven. We see Moses on Mount Sinai. But do you know what Moses is called? He's called a servant of God. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, in a number of places, it's translated... Dulas, he's a slave of God. In fact, David was called a slave of God. The prophets were called slaves of God. Joshua, a slave of God. Why was there authority? Why was there power? Why was there ability in their life and in their ministries and in their work that they did for God? Because they came under full submission to God. We can't expect to have the power of God and the authority of God if we haven't submitted to God. The more we are His slaves, the more we can do His bidding and the more we could do His will and the more we can change our world. So Paul the Apostle, he introduces himself to the church at Philippi He says, I am a slave of Christ, along with Timothy. We're slaves of the Lord. See, when you're a slave, your activities, not only your attitude, but your activities are directed by God. Life, his life, totally belonged to the Lord. Everything he did. Paul the Apostle gave his testimony in Acts a number of times. His conversion is in chapter 9. Later on, he's giving his testimony in Acts chapter 22 before Christ. Listen to what he said. He's talking about his experience on the Damascus Road. Acts chapter 22, verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. What shall I do? Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. 
when you're a slave, you're waiting and you're listening for your master's command. His will is your delight. And the object of your life is to do what he wants you to do. And that's why that church in Philippi was founded. In Acts chapter 16, you see Paul listening to the voice of God. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word of God in Asia. The Holy Spirit said, don't do it. So he didn't do it. Preaching is a good thing, but God said, don't do it there. See, a person who is a slave of God wants to obey the voice of God, wants to listen to his voice, wants to do what he wants them to do, or she wants what God wants her to do. That was Paul's attitude. God, speak for your servant is listening. Like the old prophet Samuel said, Lord, speak, I'm listening. We need congregants who say, Lord, I surrender my rights. I'm not concerned about my entitlement I'm concerned about doing your will I'm concerned about serving you I am your slave at your disposal God however you want to use me however you don't want to use me God I'll be used in that way that was his attitude then we've looked at saints we looked at slaves and the salutation Now the salutation. Paul the apostle took a regular greeting and brought it to a higher level. Doesn't God do that? Doesn't he take uh, the simple things and put great spiritual significance in them? The greeting of the Greeks to one another in the Greek world was rejoice. Greetings. Rejoice. Look what Paul the apostle does in verse 2. You have the salutation, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father, the conjunction, uh, connective, and, and. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace comes from the Father and it comes from the Son. Early in the church, Jesus was recognized as God, as deity. Grace came from the Father and grace came from Jesus Christ. Now what is this grace? He says grace to you. It's God's favor. It's putting you in a favorable relationship with God so he can bless you. It's unmerited favor. Nothing you could do could... Get God to love you. It's what God did in his son Jesus. And when you accept that, you're the beloved of God. So it's God's favor directed on you, towards you, at you. So Paul says, may grace to you. See how he takes a simple greeting and puts it into Christian terms and raises it into a, in a whole another direction? He said, listen, we live and move and have our being in God. We see our lives in relationship to God, in relationship to his kingdom, in relationship to the kingdom that's coming. He says, grace to you. May God's favor rest on you. May God's grace rest upon you. Grace to you. Grace to you. 
When I say that, I'm not just saying words. I'm asking God his favor to rest on your life. Not because of what you did or didn't do, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And so he greets them with grace. But notice the next word. And it never, never in any of his epistles is the order ever changed. It's always grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Why? Because you can't have the peace of God without the grace of God. The grace of God has to come first. God's favor, his salvation his grace to you must come first before you could ever have peace with God but what Paul does is he takes the word the Jewish greeting shalom and he says peace that means wholeness spiritual health it was George Barlow who said grace is what all need what none can merit and what God alone can give And then peace. Peace is to the soul what health is to the body. Peace is to the soul what health is to the body. Paul speaks a blessing on them and he says, may the peace of God be with you. That's... That relationship to God, no longer are we running from God like Jonah did. No longer are we at enmity with God and rebellion against God. But now we've been brought into harmony, into relationship with God. And he said, may the grace of God and the peace of God, people are looking for peace or spiritual wholeness in all sorts of directions. They're going and maybe trying meditation and trying yoga or trying some Eastern religion or trying this or trying that. There's no peace like the peace of God. He says, the peace I give you is not like the world gives, but a peace that passes all understanding. You could be in a prison cell and yet be in peace. You could be in sickness and yet be in peace. You could be in trouble, but yet be in peace because you know God's faith rest on you and that's all that matters if God is smiling at you and God is pleased with you and God's happy about how you're living he's rejoicing over you that's all that matters and Paul the apostle he said here's the marks of the wonderful people of God they're saints you don't have to wait 300 years and the church gets together and says you know there's a pretty good guy back then Pretty good gal back then. Let's make him. No, no, no. We're saints today. In God's sight, we're his holy children, his royal priesthood, a, a holy nation that he's called out of darkness into light. And then he says, slaves. I want to be a slave of Jesus Christ. He's the best master to have. And God, we submit to you and surrender our lives to you and let him pour his grace on you and his peace in you. That marks a believer, the grace of God, the favor of God and the peace of God. Maybe you're not a saint. Maybe you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Absolutely, the most important thing in life is knowing Christ. Nothing more important. You could go through life and accumulate all the wealth and all the goods and all the fame and all the notoriety, but in one moment it's all gone and it doesn't matter. What matters is your relationship to Jesus Christ because that determines where you will spend forever, eternity. That's what we need to know Christ, to 
When we say Lord, we're not just simply using a title. We're saying what that means. We're saying, Lord, you are Lord. You are master of my life. You are owner of my possessions. My whole future, my whole life is in your hands. Do with me whatever you want because you are Lord. Commonly called the Book of Joy, Philippians is a powerful book to Christians. This book exhorts us to have joy in the midst of trying times, to be united as Christians by our head, Jesus Christ, and to be people with testimonies in our communities that are known to be honorable. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians. This 19-part series will certainly encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Perhaps today's message sparked a thought in your mind, an area in your walk with Jesus where you need to grow. We encourage you to download today's message again to review. Simply log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and select today's date from the Voice of Faith media player. Again, that's voiceoffaithradio.com. Now, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For driving directions and more information, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. We invite you to join us as Pastor Ed continues teaching through the book of Philippians right here on Voice of Faith.